Welcome to the latest Experts in the Field podcast from Foot Anstey's Farm, Estates and Rural Land team. With guest speakers and in-house experts, we'll provide insights and practical advice on rural developments and current affairs. Welcome to another episode of Experts in the Field, our regular podcast from the Farms, Estates and Rural Land team at Foot Anstey. We're joined today by Paul Blundell, an Agricultural Relationship Director at HSBC, who supports agricultural businesses with their banking needs across Somerset, Devon and Cornwall. Also joined by Kate Lucas, a regular on our podcast, who as well as being a senior associate in the Farms Estates Rural Land team, also farms with a husband in Somerset. They're currently building their own farming business. Welcome Paul and Kate, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks Edward, it's nice to be here. Thanks Edward. So on today's podcast, we'll be discussing how farmers and new entrants into farming can successfully manage the seemingly constant period of volatility that we're going through. We're looking in particular at how business planning and the help of banks can help you support and reach your business objectives. Finance is obviously always key, uh, Paul, and that's very much where your business at HSBC comes in. Indeed. <laughs> so, Paul, can you perhaps start with telling us a little bit about more your role at HSBC and your work with agricultural businesses across the southwest? Yeah, of course. And um, I've worked within our agricultural division for sort of over 10 years, and our focus is very much on farming businesses. But we're very conscious that every farming business is slightly different. So the idea of our role is to get a good understanding of what people's aims are, what they're trying to achieve, and essentially looking at the financial services they require to meet those aims, really. And that could be generic farming, or in many cases, it's a diversified business where you've got an element of farming, but other income streams as well. It generally means some form of borrowing. Most farmers borrow rather than sit on huge amounts of cash to deposit. They do happen now and again, but it does normally work around how we need to support a business from a lending perspective. And obviously, the last few years have been an enormously challenging period for everyone in the agricultural sector. There's no no exception to that. But what are the as we're going into the spring of 23? What are the what are the issues that you're seeing your clients come to you with at the moment? There's been concern around high input costs. That's been around for 12, 18 months now. Now, a lot of businesses, and this will vary by sector, but you know, if we take a very high level general view, a lot of people will be coming off a very strong year. But there is concern looking ahead to the year ahead. Some prices are down, but input costs remain high. And so people are particularly concerned about working capital, so the cash flow for a business. And that is probably the main focus that we're seeing. We're probably seeing a slightly uh, cooler approach to capital expenditure investment. It's not to say it's gone away altogether, but uh, people are perhaps being a little bit more cautious around the timing of, the, of their projects and their plans, but short term, very much around working capital and cash flow. And how much of your clients are seeing sort of turn their minds properly to the changing subsidy regime and, and making decisions? Yeah, we're starting to see that now. I think it's something that you know, for very good reason. It it probably wasn't being discussed very widely, largely because we didn't know the detail. But I think certainly the demise of the basic payment is now very clear as to what that time frame looks like and what the runway looks like there. And people can quite clearly see the impact that that's going to have on their business over the next few years. And that's, you know, throws up various options for different businesses. Some will be looking that now is the right time to exit and that could be stopping farming, that could be selling up, that could be renting out the farm. Others are looking that they need to diversify, they look at how they farm, they have to do that slightly differently, or they need to look at other income streams, essentially to replace the basic payment they get at the moment. 
whilst we're hopeful that Elms and other schemes around will fill some of the gap left by BPS, I don't think anyone's kidding themselves that it's going to be a a 100% replacement. So businesses that are reliant upon the BPS are looking quite critically at their businesses at the moment to think, what do they need to do to ensure that they're still here and trading successfully in 10, 15 years' time? Okay, now we're talking about some of these diversified issues um, earlier on today, but what are you seeing in terms of you know, true new entrants to, to the market for buying agricultural land? So you know, thinking of carbon offsetting, rewilding, people with genuine environmental aims that they want to use land, which is not agricultural food production. Yeah, we are starting to see that coming through now. It, it tends to be obviously sort of existing landowners or people that are having their door knocked on at the moment, be it by developers, councils in some cases are looking at uh, carbon and phosphates, depending on where you are and, and how they deal with that. Now, that's a huge opportunity if you've got the right farm in the right location. Again, if you're a developer, it is a cost and something that you need to consider and really sort of look to mitigate those risks. So, if I'm looking at it from a farmer perspective, that is going to be opportunity for some people, but we're still very early days. We don't actually know at the moment how much farms are actually going to require their own carbon and phosphate to sort of essentially class themselves as a sustainable business going forward. There is probably some caution around selling these credits off to other parties at this point in time. We are seeing it in some cases, but certainly not on a large scale at the moment. And again, it's something that we're probably a little bit short of information on to be able to make sort of fully informed judgments on, really. I suppose as well, it's an opportunity, isn't it? But it's one that it's very difficult to put an actual figure or value on. So whilst it could be included in a business plan as a sort of in the round, actually putting a value on and putting that in accounts is very difficult at this stage because we just don't have the information to know what that uh, income value could be. It is. And and some of the numbers being bandied around look really, really big and quite enticing. Whether those numbers are good value is still unclear at the moment. They might be fantastic. It might be the opportunity of a lifetime. We might be sat here in five, 10 years time thinking, well, we'd have undersold ourselves if we'd have sort of done deals at this point in time. You're right, Kate, we just don't know. If you were presented with a business plan, Paul, by a new entrant, would you expect to see some consideration of ELMS or these new schemes? Or do you think at this stage, because it is so uncertain, that that's not something you would either expect to see or need to see? I think we'd expect some consideration for it, um, because we're well aware that for a lot of farms, subsidies, grants, etc., make up a, a large part of, of their income, and it is quite important to them. So, so to ignore it altogether would probably be a little bit extreme. But uh, I suppose we'd want, certainly, if we're looking short term, as in what does the next five years look like, we'd think people should be able to relatively accurately judge that from a subsidy and BPS perspective. When we're looking longer term, we're seeing people suggesting that they might get money, but it would probably be at a much reduced level. So we're not necessarily saying where that money is coming from, but they're saying, well, we might get 20%, for example, of what the BPS pays us today we would probably class that as being a sort of relatively cautious and not unreasonable suggestion. Whether that's through ELMS or any other scheme, it's probably too early to tell at this point in time. But to simply say it's not going to be there at all, again, is probably going too far the other way, if that makes sense. Paul, we're good to move on to talk about new engines into farming. And when we were discussing the preparation for this podcast, we talked about there being sort of two pots of new entrants are those true new entrants looking to set out and build their own farm and then there are those next generation in farming families who are looking to develop their own business and split off from the original family farm and that's where Kate and her husband very much fall into that camp but just talking about your true new entrants at the moment how much do you see of those true new entrants at the bank they're few and far between in truth um, we, we don't see many 
invariably when we do see them there on some sort of tenanted basis that they rarely come in with a proposition to say we want to buy a farm mostly because they simply have no background and nowhere near the finances that would support that so I'm not saying it never happens but it's it's pretty rare when we do see say new entrants looking to get into farming it tends to be through some sort of tenancy that they've been able to secure and when we do get that, um, you know, what are we looking for from a bank perspective to support them with some sort of financing? And it's, uh, you know, it's very much around what, what they're like as individuals is certainly the first thing that bank look at when we're trying to assess whether this is somebody we'd want to lend money to. So we want to know about the individuals, their backgrounds, any particular training, any qualifications that they have that will support the venture that they're going into. This might sound a bit strange to some people, but the spreadsheets and the forecasts aren't the first thing that we look at as lenders. We very much want to make an assessment of the person, their acumen, their skills, and whether we believe that they will make a success of the business. Inevitably, we will come onto figures and we want to understand what they believe that their farm that they're getting into can do, what, what sector they're looking to move into, and what income that's likely to generate. And then off the back of that, I suppose, what support they believe the bank needs at, at that point in time. So, we want to assess the individual. We want to have a good understanding of what their forecasts look like from a finance perspective. And last and genuinely last would be if there was any security available to back any lending. If we can't get comfortable with the individuals, if we can't get comfortable with their forecasts, having a big lump of security won't make any difference to us, frankly. So we want to get the proposition and be happy with that. And if there's any security available, that really is the cherry on the cake for us. We've discussed in previous um, episodes of the podcast that the lack of availability of tenancy agreements and the high cost, high value of agricultural land is a bar to new entrants, properly new entrants, as you mentioned there, Paul, entering the agricultural sector. And it sounds like that tallies with what you see as a bank in terms of people coming to you for help or for lending. Yeah, it does. It, it very much reflects the market. So, you know, it's it's not a surprise that we don't get many approaches for people that are completely new into farming. It's, it's not that we're averse to them, but very little crosses our desk in truth. Okay, do you want to just talk a little bit about what you're doing with your husband in terms of setting up your own farming business? And we can then get some free advice from Paul as to how you should structure your business plan when you're going to the bank. <laughs> Yeah, so we're probably that second category. So not the pure new entrant, but someone who has come from a farming background, whose family farm and who's going through succession planning. So it's very fortunate to have that backup and perhaps a bit of security already there. But as Paul mentioned, that would be possibly the last thing on the list that you'd be looking at. So although we're fortunate to have that experience and have that family backing and some security already, uh, we would be a new entity in terms of the bank, in terms of a business. And so I suppose, Paul, you'd be looking at our business acumen as if we were entirely green to farming. Yes and no. As I said, it's what your background is, is important. So, you know, if you have experience in agriculture, if you say if you have qualifications, if you have hands-on experience, that does hold some weight because that gives us confidence that actually you're going into something hopefully, that you've got some experience in that you can make a success of. So, let's say there'll be some people who've got no background in farming. They've purely been to agricultural college, for example. In your circumstances where you talk about having some experience there, you know, that is absolutely relevant. And we certainly take that into account when we're saying, have we got appetite to lend in, in this sort of circumstance? It would then move on to what your plans are. You know, what is the strategy for the business, if you like, what sector are you looking to get into? Is that different to what you've done in the past or is it the same? And then we do get into the numbers after that. You know, what do you bring into the party yourself? What do you need the bank to do? But actually then, 
what do you see the business as being able to achieve? What are the likely turnover, the profitability, the cash flow of the business, and getting, a, I suppose, a real, a real good understanding around that, those finances, and not just probably the first year, because actually looking at the first year of any new business can be quite difficult and misleading. There's a lot of costs in there that won't be repeated, sometimes not up to speed from an income and a turnover perspective. So when a bank comes and says we need a couple of years worth of forecasts, it's very much a case that we want to see what that startup phase looks like, but actually we want to see well, what is the journey to normality and, and a more stable business, because actually in the long term, that's what's going to give us confidence that uh, we're investing in something that will be uh, successful and essentially be able to repay us in truth at the end of the day. It's really nice to hear that the bank, like you say, take a realistic perspective that actually a business that's starting up, be that a truly new entrant or someone that's taking on part of an existing farming business won't necessarily be profitable. And it's where perhaps the bank's realistic approach doesn't tally with other areas. So for our planning permission, we need to show three years worth of profitable accounts before we're allowed to build a house. And like you say, Paul, when you're a new business, even if you have that infrastructure, showing three years of profit might actually take you five, six, seven years to get there. Yeah, it's quite feasible. And dare I say, if we get a forecast across the desk for a new business and it's saying it's going to make profits in its first year, it it almost loses credibility immediately because it's pretty rare that that happens in truth. So we want to see a warts and all proposal. So you'll know better than we will as bankers what the negatives of your business are as well as the positives. But we'd rather you brought them out and brought them to the fore and say, well, we've got this challenge, we've got this potential issue. But looking at what the mitigants to those are, you know, what are you doing about it? Or is that something we've just got to live with for a period of time? But dare I say, it's not the bank's job really to shine a light on the negatives. It looks like a much better plan from our perspective if you bring it to us and say, look, we've got two or three challenges here that are going to be really tricky for the first 12, 18, 24 months, however long that looks like. But we believe it's still worth doing because of X, Y, and Z. If all we get is a very shiny, polished plan saying everything's going to be wonderful, we're going to make lots of money and we're going to be on a yacht in the med for three weeks in the summer every year, then we're going to smell a rat in truth. So, you know, we we want to see the dark as well as the light whenever we're looking at a new business plan. I think as well as a new business and a new entrant coming in, you're looking to make a long-term relationship with your relationship manager. So actually, it's not a short-term thing. We're going to make a profit. We only need you for a few years. You're actually entering into something that hopefully your business is going to grow and you're going to have the support of your lender for many years. Yeah, and and that's very much the way we view it. And I can't talk for all the other main banks, but certainly what we see across the high street banks is, you know, they they want the long-term relationships. And so invariably, if you're looking at a new project, a new new farming enterprise, we'll often look at the terms of the lending to say, well, actually, you know, do we do it for a period of interest-only lending, for example, to get you on your feet so that you're not suddenly repaying the bank from day one? And so we need that flexibility to be able to grow the business into the trading entity that your plans are. So it's a case of us looking quite creatively, if you like, around how we finance a business and a project at the outset compared to how we might be financing it three, four years down the line. Thinking back over the last few years, um, Paul, we've obviously all experienced in our lives and businesses a huge series of shocks that we wouldn't have foreseen. When you're looking at these business plans, you presumably the banks and your bank as well included in that have, have looked to sort of tightened up the resilience provisions within those business plans. So there is some capacity to take the shocks that we've seen in the last few years if they were to be repeated. I'd argue we've always done that in truth, Edward. We might have done it behind the scenes. But yeah, you know, any proposal that we've looked at certainly and 
in my time of banking, you know, we've we've looked at scenarios like, well, what if interest rates were to shoot up? What if the input costs? What if the price, let's say it's a dairy business, what if milk price dropped by, you know, 10p? We, we, we do that stress testing behind the scenes before we get comfortable with, with a proposition. So if you can do that as part of your business plan, great, but it's something we would do as a matter of course anyway, because we know in farming in particular, volatility is always with us. So seeing a steady state is something that simply doesn't happen. So it's important to understand, you know, is the business robust enough to ride out some of those bumps in the road? Thinking of those sort of two groups of new entrants again, the, uh, the proper new starters and then the, the farming families with the next generation coming through, what would you like to see the government do over the next couple of years to really help those two groups? What, from the bank's perspective, are the key things that you think would help? Yeah, probably, I don't know, wish this to get political. It's probably not what the government are doing at the moment. You know, that, that we see lots around tax, but um, but frankly, we wouldn't expect a new business to be paying a hell of a lot of tax in their early years. That Their normal default position of looking at some sort of tax incentive doesn't really work in these circumstances. Now, there are a lot of grants out there, and okay, they're not all government grants, but there's a huge amount of grants available on the market at the moment. It's uh, quite mind-boggling all the different things you can look at getting monies for. But I think for me, what, what could central government do? There's an element around a resist to say sort of financial support, because I think it's, it's highly unlikely they're suddenly going to hand out money. But uh, I think maybe some sort of central bank financing team, sort of be it at a below level, that they'd be able to support some new businesses or support the bank to support them. And that's probably the most likely is that they could guarantee the bank for a new start. So someone comes in, they've got a new business, the bank wants to lend them some money, but there's no security of it at all. If the government could come and back that, which they have schemes outside of agriculture, which they do so, that might be encouraging more people to get in and give the banks certainly more confidence to be lending. That's something that would perhaps open up the doors a little bit more to giving the bank confidence to do so. We saw it a lot during COVID. There were lots of you know schemes, bounce back loans, for example, they were fully backed by the government. So you know the banks were dare I say it, knocking them out at 10 a penny, you know, the process of getting that money out of the door is very easy because we knew we had the government backing. Now, what we're talking about here is a different scenario. You know, we'd want to be seeing that, again, we've got long-term strategy, we've got businesses that we'd want to lend to, but we just need that little bit of confidence to back us up. Yeah, it's a bit of that sharing of that initial risk, isn't it, between the farmer, you and, and the government? Yeah, it is that point. And there's perhaps something they could do around grants for new starters, but um, it's not something we've seen in the past, so I suppose I wouldn't get my hopes too high. No, absolutely. Look, uh, Kate and Paul, thank you very much for your time today. It's been uh, really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and thank you to all of you listening. Many of the issues we've discussed today have been covered in other episodes on our podcast series, so please do have a listen to them as well. And thanks again. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next Experts in the Field episode from Footansty. Join us next time for more insights on important rural and agricultural issues. Find out more about our podcast series at our website, footansty.com.